Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today is Monday, June 27th, 2022, starting at 11.47 a.m. in Denver, Colorado. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for July of 2022. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and special guest co-host Camille Michelle Gray. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to do this episode. We're going to start by um, reflecting and talking a little bit about recent news and recent astrology astrology related stories in the news. And then eventually we're going to jump into the forecast for July about 30 or 40 minutes into the episode. So if people want to jump ahead to that, you can find the timestamps either below this video in the description on YouTube or on the podcast website. I'll also put some timestamps for those listening to the audio version. All right. So um, welcome. So Camille, thanks for joining us for your first um, time joining us for a forecast episode. This is actually your second time on the podcast. We recently did the Gemini episode together, which I had such a good time doing with you and, and Nicholas that I asked you to come back. And I thought that your uh, Gemini placements would complement Austin's Gemini placements, where Austin has a Gemini moon and you have Gemini rising and Mars in Gemini, right? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, so this is your you've been a long time like listener of the show. If you listen you've listened to other forecasts, right? Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. Nice. I love it. <laughs> All right. And um Austin, how are you doing? You actually are just getting over like a bout of COVID that you got sometime shortly after at the astrology conference at Norwalk in Seattle, right? Yeah, I'm um sort of just now I would say fully back to normal. The acute symptoms only lasted maybe four days, but there were there's there's like a week of being at maybe fifty percent, being kind of tired and sweaty all the time, more tired and sweaty than I normally am. Right. Um, and then like another week of like seventy five percent. It had um, I don't know. It was <clears throat> it was persistent, or at least you know it was like whatever. Just the, the the there was a linger to it. There was a long tail to it. It tried to move in and hang out with me every day but uh finally gone good yeah that's it's funny it's like a freeloader all that's like sleeping on your couch it's just like won't you can't kick them out yeah it's like your roommate's cousin who won't leave right and you're like kind of obligated to kind of like feed them um so yeah that was too bad there was it seemed like it, the number official number was at, up to at least like 30 plus people did end up getting covid at norwalk um I don't know if anybody got serious. I didn't hear of anybody getting seriously hospitalized or anything like that, which was really good news. But it was definitely um, sort of a stark reminder that we're still, you know, at the tail end of or or in the process of trying to get through the pandemic and some of the risks that come along with you know major public gatherings at this point. Um, I ended up canceling my meeting of the Denver Astrology Group last month as a result of that, just because it seemed to fall right in the middle of that wave. Uh, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping we find ourselves on like the downslope of a wave instead of the upslope, like Norwalk did. Once we have the ESAR conference uh, in August coming up, yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, it's definitely still out there. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's jump into some some stories and stuff in the news. Other than that, so um, one of the things is. Um, Instagram scammers. So there's like a wave of Instagram scammers that are like pretending to be astrologers. Um, I've had a couple of them, just like impersonators who will show up and start pretending to be you. And I create a fake Instagram 
profile where they copy all your pictures and then they try to like hit people up for consultations and like offer to do consultations. But what's funny about it is they always do such a terrible job of impersonating people that they start using words like beloved and stuff like that. <laughs> so if you ever like get a, a DM, if you ever see me like sliding into your DMs and using words like beloved, that's a pretty good indication that it's probably not me. And it's probably somebody pretending to be me trying to rip you off. Um, no love and light from you. <laughs> no love and light. <laughs> Yeah, it was, and I, um, I don't think anyone was fooled. Um, someone sent me this and they're like, this is obviously not you. It was like, hello, beloved. Right. Right. <laughs> and then it was like, you know, I'm, I'm giving away, you know, readings for whatever, da, 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 da. Um, then, and then it was, it ended with like, blessed be. Right. And I was like, oh, they, they really got my cadence and word choice down. <laughs> well, what'll be funny is if we get like level version 2.0 of the scammers and they do go back and like research a little bit like like five minutes and they start slipping in some of your phrases like hello beloved i'd like to talk to you about the meat grinder in your chart or something like that <laughs> and then there's then, a meat grinder coming up if you pay me one thousand dollars i can help you avoid this right so what would your uh, scammer be like chris i don't i don't know they would just keep talking like really monotonely whatever a monotone talking looks like in a very matter of fact yeah and it would take like three hour like long conversation of <laughs> it would just, be an eight it would like an eight paragraph message it's very structured right yeah <laughs> yeah presented presented very coherently right it would be compelling so you know, know it we'll sucks see. but that's how you know you've made it so I'm waiting for my impersonator. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I, I had that feeling earlier this year of like seeing everybody else get ripped off and being kind of feeling like left out. So I was like halfway yeah. excited when I got my first one. Yeah, one day, huh? You know, back to Gemini for a second, like the doppelganger is totally a Gemini horror motif, right? Like mm -hmm. being replaced by the, you know, the evil or scammer version of yourself or like the pod people or I'm thinking of Twin Peaks, the the evil Kyle um, but that like the, the replacement by the evil twin is, uh, is very Gemini. Yeah, definitely. That reminds me of Sam Reynolds was like harassing and like taunting his scammer at one point and sent me some of those texts and it was kind of funny seeing his, his interactions with them. Yeah. I won't share that story, but that's an amazing story. I'll just say that Sam ancestor shamed the person and it worked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, I, there's a reporter, I forget her name, who's doing a story on this and I'm looking forward to and hoping that influences things a little bit and I might put a link to it at some point once it's officially out. So, all right, moving on in other news, Camille, you had one that was like a recent um, story that was on social media, right? Yeah, so for a couple of days, the story of this vengeful elephant kind of swept social media. And essentially, we didn't get the full story, um, you know, immediately. But as the days passed, essentially what happened was that um, a woman in India was assisting poachers by throwing, I don't know, rocks or something at the elephant mom. Um, and I think right then and there, the elephant mom uh, stomped this woman out and um, she passed away. Uh, but curiously, the elephant took the extra step of, I think, walking 200 kilometers to this woman's funeral and then continuing to <laughs> terrorize her um, at the funeral and like, you know, as she was being laid to rest. And I thought it was such 
a evocative story of Uranus and Taurus and Venus approaching Uranus and Taurus. You know, poachers are doing what they do to elephants for ivory and for all the ornamental jewelry and like to make piano keys. Um, and so it was funny to have this otherwise gentle giant kind of go berserk in this Uranian kind of way and, you know, seek revenge. So it was a cool little microcosm of the macro things happening. Yeah, for sure. And an elephant never forgets, it turns out. Yes, yes. That's true. <laughs> Especially in Taurus. <laughs> right. Another uh, ast astrological angle on that is that <clears throat> elephants are, are often associated with Jupiter, uh, especially in India. Mm. Um, you know, like they're huge, they're wise, they're usually very chill. Um, you know, they have good memories. And so, you know, we very recently had Jupiter go into a Mars ruled sign and Mars rule uh, and then Mars join it there. Right. So when, yeah, when Jupiter's mad, right, it's, um, <laughs> it'll go oh, it's to literally like, something giant, uh, yeah. stomping you out. And I mean, that, that's the perfect, the perfect use of that phrase. Cause I mean, what can stomp you out better than an elephant? Right. Like I'm sure her bones were just fragments. Yeah, good good times. Um, all right, we're gonna start for the elephant community. I think it was you know justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, then that was what was funny on the social media is everyone was like, "Wow, like really rooting for the element elephant there," which was an interesting turnaround. Um, <laughs> I love it. Me too. All right, pro elephant. Yeah, we are pro elephant on this podcast. Just in case anybody. Although then there's naturally going to be anytime there's like two sides to something, there's like naturally somebody that will take that opposite side, which is always interesting to watch socially. Um, all right. So moving on, I had a funny transit thing that happened today, which is that um, a few days ago, transiting Mars was squaring my natal Mars and Mars was going through the third house, my third house of communication and squaring my natal Mars in the 12th house of like enemies or secret enemies. And I was watching that transit for that two-day period, and I was just like, something's going to happen. And it came by and went, and nothing happened. And I realized at the end, I was like, something happened, and I just don't know about it yet. And I was wondering when I would find out or if I would ever find out, because I've been tracking this phenomenon for years of just transits that happen. But if you don't see it, sometimes that doesn't mean that nothing happens. It just means that something occurred that's not within your field of vision yet, even though it impacts your life. And I kind of thought because if Mars was transiting my third house, that it had something to do with writings or communication. And because two years ago when Mars went through my third house, I had a really notable thing like that of getting ripped off with a piece of my written work. Anyway, long story short, I just found out this morning when somebody posted in my Hellenistic course forum that I it looked like I had released a Kindle version of my book, but the formatting was all messed up. And so they were asking if this was legitimate. And I went and found it, and it was some pirated version of my book with like terrible formatting where somebody was trying to sell a Kindle version. And I looked at the publication date, and it was right when that transit was happening last week of transiting Mars in my third house of communication, squaring my natal Mars in the 12th house of secret enemies. So I was so, I was actually like, that was one of those hashtag astrologer good events where I was so impressed by the astrology like coming true and how well it depicted what happened and that it worked again, even though it didn't seem like anything had happened at the time that I kind of like didn't even care about the fact that I was getting ripped off because I was just so impressed by the astrology. So I think that's going to become my new like motto or philosophy at this point, which is just being so 
enamored and kind of like humored by the way the astrology works out that you know i don't don't even care if the bad thing happened necessarily i hope you were able to fix it yeah i mean i'll I'll just submit a request that's the other thing i love about that is that it was also like a minor event that i know i can fix where i'll just like submit a thing to amazon and they'll remove it because mm-hmm. i've had to do that before but that's the other part of the astrologer good thing where it's like something minorly bad happens and it fulfills what needed to happen to fulfill the transit, but it's like not the worst case scenario. And that's part of why you're able to laugh at it and just look at it sort of objectively stepping outside of yourself as an astrologer. Yeah, there's something to be said for being able to appreciate the story, even if you're one of the characters. You're like, oh, that's funny writing. Right. (laughs) Although I have to say, Chris, you are obviously correct about that, but the practice of Assuming that something bad happened, even if you can't see it when you have bad transits, could easily um, pave the way for a descent into madness and paranoia. Yeah. And I'm obviously that does happen, right? Like you, you know, as per your story. Sure. And I, and I'm aware of that as a potential and as an issue. And, and that's something astrologers should be careful about. But at the same time, it's just something I talked about with Patrick on the past podcast where. I'm starting to wonder if most transits don't actually manifest in something. It's just they're not always within our field of vision and like what the cutoff point is of that just from a purely technical standpoint as an astrologer because we're used to as astrologers like seeing some transits hit and some transits come by and nothing significant seems to happen at the time. But especially when you factor in the Time Lord techniques like perfections that help you narrow down which ones are supposed to be important, and you see an important one come and go and nothing happens, but then find out later that something did, I, I just, I'm trying to work out like how often does that really happen? And what if the percentage of cases is like far higher than we even realize as astrologers just because it's so hard of a phenomenon to study? Well, I think that as a rule of thumb of when to apply the just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you <laughs> is probably when it's a transit involving a malefic in a in an in an invisible house, right? The mm-hmm. 12th is supposed to be stuff you don't see. You have a natal malefic there and it was activated by a transiting malefic, right? right? Like that seems like a good place to make sure that nothing happened rather than just assumed because you didn't see it because it's supposed to be hidden. Right. Like when you steal from someone or when you are stolen from like the, the, the job of a thief is to not be detected for as long as possible. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, have either of you had that, those specific instance happen of like realizing later, even sometimes a long time afterwards that something important had happened when you had a specific transit, but you weren't aware of it at the time. But then later you you sort of noticed and like realized that that thing had, had happened. Um, it's it, This kind of answers the question, but I remember I was taking an international trip at the moment that Uranus was going to make a hard aspect to one of my natal placements. And this is early on in my astrological career where I got really wrapped around something bad happening, specifically like the plane crashing or some type of horrible delay and and being stranded in the middle of nowhere. And I looked back and I was like, oh, that transit was the anxiety. (laughs) It didn't actually manifest um, as something catastrophic. It was just me uh, thinking it would. (laughs) Yeah, that's really important because that's a whole thing in and of itself that's also ambiguous in astrology, which is 
how do you know when it's going to manifest as a, a literal external event versus a psychological or an internal event? Because Absolutely. sometimes it really can go either way and it's not always very clear or super easy to say for sure that it's going to be one or the other. Yeah, I mean, as you as you alluded to earlier, Chris, generally like filtering transits through as many other timing systems as you're proficient in um, and seeing what makes it through all the filters is uh, very reliable. Right, for sure. But yeah, if it doesn't get, you know, if the transit isn't supported by, you know, however many other things, right? It's like, oh, it's just a transit. It's a bad day or it's a good day, but uh, it passes quickly rather than, um, we were, I'm actually teaching transits right now in my year two. So I just had a two hour conversation <laughs> about this. Um, but you know, I, I think it's, um, I try in my practice and I try as a teacher, um, to differentiate between transits that like color a day or a week, right. Mm -hmm. Versus those that are pivotal events, um, uh, or things that would show up in your biography. Right. Either as like something amazing that kind of changes the story or something really hard that, you know, is at least like a, an important plot point in that chapter, you know, like, um, yeah, like big story stuff versus like, eh, yeah, today, today sucked. Right. I got half as much done as I wanted or like today was really awesome, but it, that doesn't really change anything and sort of, you know, the spectrum between those. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. And Let's see, moving on to other topics. One of the things I want to mention briefly, uh, you know, I just did the Gemini episode. I'm getting ready to do the Cancer episode now that we've moved into Cancer season. And something I was thinking about recently is how each astrologer has sort of like this hero's journey where they start out with very basic concepts of just knowing like the signs of the zodiac or knowing your sign or what have you. And then you get into learning more intermediate concepts and getting into planet signs, houses, and aspects, and then eventually getting fully into astrology and getting into really advanced concepts and also getting into many different techniques and being exposed to a ton of different advanced timing techniques and all sorts of things like that. But at some point it starts like curving around at some point in everyone's studies. And then you start walking backwards and kind of coming back to where you started, which is rediscovering basic concepts and like revisiting some of those things and then finding or rediscovering the depth and complexity of the basics after initially going through a process of of almost moving away from that and moving only into advanced or complicated complex techniques um, and that's kind of something i've been going through over the past year with returning back to going through the the planet series and now the signs of the zodiac series and just re refreshing myself on the depth and complexity of some of the most basic concepts in astrology but i realize that that's kind of like a universal journey that everyone goes through on some level mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah is that something either of you did in terms of like getting super advanced technically early on but then eventually maybe paring it down a little bit or getting back to basics at some point yeah. Um, so I mirror the same journey of like learning more techniques and getting a little bit more sophisticated with how I approach astrology. And I remember a moment where I was just looking at something simple, like on cafe astrology. And I was like, oh, okay. Like sun, trine, Mars on, you know, this, this simple delineation. I was like, this is interesting. I can like see it differently now that I've accumulated all this knowledge. Yeah. And, and you really do. Like once you do accumulate all of that, can see it differently. And 
somehow becomes more like even richer, I think, at some point once you return back to the basics, which is something that's really rewarding or sort of fulfilling to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, as you know, Chris, I've been really into going back to just planetary pairs for a while. And that was that was my workshop at Norwak. And will hopefully be a book at some point. Um, but just going back to like the simple pairing of you know, the seven planets, which there are only 21 pairs, right? But there's so much, there's so much richness there. It's like, well, think about each pair bisect, right? Like for example, a moon Saturn conjunction. Well, in a night chart, that is your sect light conjunct the out of sect malefic, right? Whereas in a day chart, it's your insect malefic and it's the moon, but it, the moon's not, you know, the, it's not the sect light. It's not the main base. Um, you know, looking at, looking at the bringing uh temperament stuff in here it's like oh they're both you know like they're both cool but one is dry and one is uh one is um one is moist etc cetera, etc cetera. just bringing all of the heavy technical stuff to you know like the simplest of pairings right which is at the the sort of beginning of any aspect interpretation is like two planets relating to each other so yeah but i mean i think that there's a little bit of um like a sine wave uh, to that where there's like get a bunch of complexity digest it um integrate what you know what appeals to you and is coherent with the rest of your practice and then discard the things that are interesting but don't give you big results and you're just they're just not part of what you're doing and then you know get curious again and yeah know. yeah that's it's such a common um kind of experience i feel like for astrologers but it's one maybe good to know early on in your studies that that might be your trajectory at some point? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that that's probably the shape of like, um, ongoing study of any art, um, right. or craft where like you go deeper and you learn, you know, going deeper means going back and forth between consolidating and simplifying and then expanding and complexifying. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of something um, that I got on a question that I got on a recent Q&A recently that was something like, um, I've been studying astrology for a while, but I feel like there's there's too much. And how do I really feel confident about using uh, my techniques or approach? How do I gain greater confidence in actually putting astrology into use and maybe seeing clients because it feels too overwhelming at this point? And there's there's too many different things I could use. And it reminded me recently uh, I've been getting into doing um, art with um, oil pastels and that being like a new medium and something to sort of explore during my Pisces perfection year. And um, so it was interesting seeing though a new field and then being exposed to the different ways of doing it or different like art mediums and how just like with art as probably with astrology, it's really good to expose yourself to a bunch of different approaches early on so that you can see what you like and then find one that really resonates with you um, while still getting a broad sort of overview of the field and all the different options available. But then at some point, it's a good idea to like focus in on a specific approach and then really just keep doing that approach over and over again so that you can master that approach. And in order to become good at something, you really have to choose your medium and choose the approach that you really want to specialize in and then just practice it over and over again. And through the repeated application of that over and over again, once you set the 
sort of boundaries of your approach, um, then you will eventually become really good at doing that one thing. But if you're trying to do like 20 different approaches at the same time, you're, ne you're probably never going to get really good at one of them unless you're you just you know some sort of crazy polymath but and while everybody like thinks that they're a great polymath it's like that's kind of rare for somebody to be able to fully master like 20 different things in one lifetime but instead sometimes it's better to just focus in on one thing in order to get your 10,000 hours in or what have you and then eventually become good at that yeah and i've had a similar experience where someone was asking like i don't know which house system to use and I think they're all valid. And I was like, at this point, you have to choose. <laughs> you just have to choose and then develop your skills using whatever house system you've chosen and then pivot from there if you need to. Yeah, totally. I'm reminded um, of <clears throat> the, the best advice or some of the best advice my mom gave my Gemini moon many, 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 many years ago. She said, you know, also you can do anything you want. You can do everything. You can do everything you want, but you can't all you can't do it all at the same time. Right. You gotta space it out. <laughs> yeah. The the curse of of time and being a you know three-dimensional being living in the universe that is also consists of maybe time as the fourth fourth dimension that we're limited or restrained by. All right. So um moving on to other more serious stuff in the news. The last forecast episode we did, we recorded on May 24th, and we had just started to hear reports that there had been some kind of school shooting, but we really didn't have any much information about it. And also were hesitant to kind of like jump into saying something about um, something and, and sort of like astrologizing a tragedy or doing something, saying something prematurely. Yeah, especially uh, without any real information. Yeah, which we had none of at the time. So we just you know, release that episode. It takes a few days to edit an episode and it came out later that week, but that's something people should always remember. And that's why I say the date at the beginning of each episode, because that's when we're recording it. And so we're obviously not going to talk about something that occurred after we recorded. Um, additionally, sometimes like I want to have like a good astrological angle if we're going to comment on something since it's an astrology podcast, and I don't always have a good astrological angle on some things. The only angle that did come up for me with the Uvald shooting was when I was reading a Washington Post article that was piecing together like the timeline and sequence of what had happened. They said that the shooter had turned 18 on May 16th, and then he, as soon as he turned 18, he immediately went out and bought all of the guns and the ammunition that he would then use later in the school shooting about a week later. And I, of course, as an astrologer, we'd just done a forecast and was paying attention to it. You know, my ears perked up seeing that date because May 16th, of course, was the date of the Scorpio lunar eclipse that we talked about that was such a gnarly and kind of difficult looking eclipse that we talked about in one of the previous forecasts. And so I thought it was really notable and that tied it into some of the astrology that evidently the person who who did that or carried that out had his solar return on the very day of that eclipse and kind of baked it into that and then went out did did what he did yeah and i was um that that was i, I was pretty amazed when he told me that and then my my second thought was oh 18 so it's at about 18 and 19 that you ha that you have for the first time the <clears throat> 
um, the eclipse cycle returning to the place where it was when you're born. The eclipse cycle is about 18.6 years. And so this was not only on it, like not only was it a, a solar return on an eclipse, right? And, you know, if we're thinking about electional astrology, like buying weapons on an extremely malefic eclipse, right? <clears throat> um, but it was also, you know, it's, this was the person's home um, natal eclipse cycle. Um, and, you know, and they have, and they also, that also means that they had um, the sun, um, it, it was eclipse season when they were born as well. So the eclipse symbolism is just boom, 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 boom. And it was, you know, it was certainly like it was a total eclipse, right? Like, <clears throat> um, I know that sometimes uh, I sound like I'm, I'm being a scaremonger about eclipses being malefic. Um, but, you know, it's like it's literally a shadow covering things where it should be, you know, it should be happy and, and bright, right? It's a fucking day. You know, it's, it's daytime in an elementary school, right? And that's, that was quite a shadow which fell over it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, that was also around the time that Mars ingressed into Aries and then later conjoined Jupiter. And it was interesting to see the, the rash and uptick of not only other instances of, of gun violence in the U.S., but also just like uh, increase of discussion again about like gun restrictions and different things like that that took place over the next few weeks after that point. And I thought that was tied in then to some extent, probably with that Mars ingress into Aries as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some pretty dramatic things on the day of Mars ingresses. Um, January 6th was the day of a Mars ingress. Um, and then it was also, um, you know, within, I don't know, less than a week of Mars ingressing into Aries and <clears throat> conjoining Jupiter that both uh, Ukrainian and Russian forces began major offensives, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what we've been talking about since the, the yearly right? It's like, well, that's, that's very offensive. It's very like go. Um, and as we discussed last month, that Mars Jupiter, like it might be, you know, there's, there's boldness, there's daring. Um, but that might be pointed in a direction that is, um, terrible for someone on the receiving end of it, right? Just cause you have a, a daring warrior, a daring warrior goes out and fucks people up. Right. And not always for righteous uh, or good reasons. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on what I saw someone say in the chat. And what I was going to bring up is that ingress with Mars activating Jupiter and how it activated everyone's ideologies and, and worldviews and being at a, an increased um, kind of political activation around those those thoughts about gun control. Should we have it? Should we not? So a, a really inflamed ideological or political reaction to those things that Mars was was bringing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and here's the just the planetary alignments calendar again for May, and you can see that solar eclipse there on the 16th, or that lunar eclipse there on the 16th, and then on the 24th was the day of that Mars ingress right there into Aries. So just to contextualize that. Um, all right, and then more more recently in the news, um, of course, then as well on June twenty fourth, just a few days ago on Friday, um, the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, um, which was the uh, law basically that had legalized abortion for the past forty or fifty years in the United States, 
And then suddenly several states had laws which immediately kicked into place that basically made abortion illegal. Um, and that's something we'd been talking about ever since the year ahead forecast back in December. And people can go back and listen to that because initially we were partially contextualizing it when they were going to start hearing the case um, with uh, the Venus retrograde in Capricorn conjunct Pluto and some of the things in terms of the symbolism of that, both in terms of ideas of controlling um, women's bodies and people who can get pregnant and the issues of, of control, um, but also some of the issues of like life and death involved when it comes to that. And that was the initial part of that discussion back then. Astrologically, for the more recent stuff, um, this um, ruling was actually leaked about a month ago, and it was leaked just two days after the um, solar eclipse that, that occurred in Taurus, um, which was right at the end of April. That, that Taurus eclipse was on April 30th, which was conjunct Uranus. And then interestingly, on Friday, when this ruling actually officially came out, the moon um, was back in Taurus, and it conjoined Uranus on that day. And um, I read a post by the astrologer Bruce Schofield on Facebook where he pointed out that the moon was not just conjunct Uranus by longitude in the zodiac, but also by latitude, so that it was an actual, very close to an occultation of the moon moving in front of Uranus, the planet, and that it was the closest actually that it would get to doing that within a whole year or year and a half time frame. So for me, one of the things that it was doing was the moon was conjoining Uranus on that day, and then it immediately went to squaring Saturn. And that night, I just remember, especially when it flipped over to a night chart, how um, what a depressing night it was for like a lot of people. Um, here in Denver, a lot of people were celebrating pride, but it really cast a shadow over that entire sort of weekend and celebration, having the moon conjoin Uranus and then squaring Saturn that night, just because of the intense and really heavily heavy implications. But one of the things that it did is I think it really reactivated. And one of the things I've seen happening over the past month is that those eclipses in Taurus and Scorpio have really reactivated and emphasized the Saturn-Uranus square that's been going on over the past year. And I was rereading Rob Hand's Planets in Transit recently and some of his delineations for what happens when Saturn makes a hard aspect with Uranus. And one of the things he says over and over again is that there will be structures that were like pre-existing in your life that you're taking for granted that will suddenly crumble and fall away and be removed unexpectedly. And I know we had a really literal version of that about a year ago when there was that apartment building that collapsed, I think around the time of one of the exact squares, but this was a more literal or symbolic, a more symbolically appropriate version of that in terms of something that people have been taking for granted as like a right for the past 40 years that all of a sudden overnight was just like not there anymore. And also just like Taurus being things that we are comfortable with, that we think are going to be sticking around. Um, and then obviously that being usurped and kind of reversed in, in a night. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's just, it's like dinner. It's just supposed to be there or, mm -hmm. you know, like all the Uranus and Taurus things, all of these um, sort of stable parameters of, life as expected um and uranus and taurus especially amped up by the north node or rahu um has been making those um surprisingly un like either unavailable um such as uh, various food shortages 
um, all around the world uh, or energy shortages like, oh, I can buy gas for my car, right? Right. And, you know, the uh, reproductive rights are not quite in the same category, but they are, right? Like human reproduction is a normal and large, as normal and as large a part of the human story as eating. Um, and so this is a, you know, this is a, a big potential shift where it is a big shift and then it implies a number of other potential shifts. Um, and so, yeah, that like, yeah, like removing a, a baseline expectation about the rhythm of life is a hundred percent, I think on, on, on point. Yeah. Um, and it just actually, it makes me more nervous as we head into some of these larger cycles that astrologers have already been nervous about over the past decade, um, for the United States, the United States chart, like you know, the Taurus eclipse, the lunar eclipse that's going to take place in November around the time of the midterms elections and the question of whether the House will, you know, change hands, um, going from in, in the hands of the Democrats to the Republicans, and then what the implications of that were. And then more also um, the second, the Pluto return of the United States, which we're very close to the second exact hit of that. And then finally, um, the big Uranus return of the, the United States once Uranus moves into Gemini in a few years and how one of my first episodes, one of my earliest episodes, like episode two or three was an interview with Nick Dagan Best in 2012 and his book on Uranus and the United States and how we talked about, you know, the first Uranus return of the United States 84 years into the, the history of the company was the Civil War. And then the second Uranus return was World War II in the 1940s. And then the third Uranus return will be later in this decade, in the late 2020s. And the question of just like, where is the country headed? And will tensions in the country continue to get like worse somehow? And the questions of whether it's going to be an internal dispute or an external dispute, since we have instances of both in the previous history of the United States with the Civil War and then World War II. Um, and I remember thinking about that abstractly like 10 years ago and being nervous about it. But now with some of the stuff going on in the country now, it makes me actually more nervous than I even was, you know, 10 years ago, because you can kind of see where some of the trajectory is going at this point. Yeah. And within that cycle, Mars entering Gemini and staying for about, you know, eight months <laughs> later on. Yeah. Uh, Mars return of the United States. Yeah. Right. The Mars retrograde in Gemini, which is going to dominate like really soon here, the entire second half of, of this year. Well, let me, um, let me briefly reassure you. Um, so absolutely Uranus's time in Gemini, um, does a, a full etch a sketch on the United States. Right. But if you look at how is the United States after that, in both cases, it's in much better condition. Right, going into World War II, the United, the United States is still—it's um, not out of the depression. It's been ten years of misery, um, and then after World War II, the United States is in fan basically a fantastic position economically and otherwise. Um, and then, if you look at—I um, probably don't need to explain how the before and after of the Civil War leads to some pretty good results. Right. Yes, there's uh, there's a big disaster and it's not, you know, it certainly doesn't go smoothly, but the before and after the after is clearly preferable. So, yes, it's, um, you know, hell and high water and chaos. But in the 
um, precedents that we do have, the result is a better United States. Mm. I mean, I hope you're right, and I'm surprised well, I, to be on. I'm the not board. saying that has to happen. I'm just saying that literally, what evidence we have, yeah. Right. If we're talking about precedents, we do have to look at the before and after photos. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just don't like the in-between stage where a lot of bad stuff has to happen in order to get to that other side of the pond. Oh, it's going to um, be wild. And it's not yeah. just going to be wild for the United States. You know, the right. whole world's doing an etch-a-sketch. We're in a new 200 years, age of air. Shake, shake, shake. Shake, shake. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, one of the things I've been reflecting on a lot is something I used to, I remember like 15 years ago, like taking some history of astrology classes with Nick Camp, Nicholas Campion at Kepler College. And he always was very down on and skeptical of what he called like the myth of progress and then the notion that things always inevitably get better and we'll just like keep going on that trajectory of improving sort of exponentially during the course of human history and i always was really like i didn't like his whole take on that because he he was like you know sometimes things get worse and like there's empires that rise but then they fall and nothing always stays on like a completely increasing pattern and i just felt that that was so unintuitive because i was like obviously things do get better it's like people get more rights like things keep improving ex slowly in, in this country for example and seeing this was a real instance where it brought me back to thinking about that and how sometimes there can be steps backwards and you can't always take things for granted because there's nothing that's necessarily permanent and therefore the reason then to need to keep working towards positive in this instance like social change because otherwise things that you take for granted can be ripped away like you know pretty easily yeah and the backdrop of a pluto return um the empires will fall things will break right yeah and and the question of the the survival of 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 you know democracy and things like that and while if the country still exists after the uranus return like what does that country look like and is it you know optimistic or or is it you know there have been other empires like this in the past like the roman roman empire for example that just like went through a transformation and stopped ceased being a democracy at a certain point because it was seized by um somebody who was able to take complete control over that and that's one of the things that makes me nervous about what we're going through now is just hoping it doesn't go in that direction of one historical historically possible scenario yeah well there's um what's interesting also about those last two instances with uranus and gemini um is that during those periods we had presidents who had more who had like five times the executive power of a normal president both Lincoln and uh, FDR um, were almost to use a Roman parallel. They're much more like a Sulla. There was like a the the Romans would do a temporary dictator, be like things are so fucked up. You just have one person deal with it for now, and then they will give back those powers. And that's almost exactly what FDR did. We didn't we don't call it that in America, but you know he ruled America <laughs> um, uh, with an iron fist uh, for 12 years. And so we also tend to get very strong leaders that emerge in the, the midst of the chaos, whether it was internal uh, with the Civil War with Lincoln or external with FDR. And what's interesting is both of them like died when their historical purpose was served, right? Like mm -hmm. they didn't like have retirements way after their 
you know, their, whatever they're seeing in history. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, I would, you know, like the, if you're having, uh, intuitive concerns about like someone having a lot of power, that's normal. Like for this, this thing for this Uranus return for the United States is there's you there, like there is so far a president with much more power than a standard president, whether that's formal or otherwise. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. So I think that's it in terms of reviewing previous stuff and, and now might be a good time to transition into talking about the forecast for July. What do you, what do you guys think? Oh, there was one more thing on the, the, uh, the overturn of Roe that was astrological that I, I think, um, the listeners will hopefully find in, as intriguing as I did. So <clears throat> the point, um, at which the moon is at its apogee, meaning as far from the earth as it gets in its monthly cycle, um, is re- usually referred to as the Lilith point. Um, and referring to this point as Lilith is not, um, is not, a, a like a, a new, fangled modern interpretation we actually have chinese translations of persian texts from over a thousand years ago that use the that use a lilith figure to describe this apogee point right and so there are variety there's a variety of lilith folklore and mythology but in virtually all of it lilith is associated either with taking children or in the Abrahamic version, Lilith refuses to bear children. She doesn't want to be Adam's wife and have a family and all that. So she, she, she refuses the, the garden deal that, that Eve accepts. Um, but so either the, um, whereas in some of the earlier Mesopotamian stuff, Lilith um, literally is a, a, a spirit or a demon that takes children. But regardless, there's a like, n- no kids for me quality to Lilith. And so I just happened to notice that in the Aries ingress chart for the United States this year, which is an important chart for judging um, what's going to happen in a country in a given year, uh, Lilith is right on the ascendant. And then um, if we look at where the Lilith point is now, it's just moved into cancer, right? Which is very interested in pregnancy and reproduction as a sign. And the United States has a bunch of stuff right in the beginning of Cancer. There's Venus and Jupiter there, and then uh, the Sun and Mercury later on. So um, we have it in the Aries ingress chart. We have, a, you know, really, well, Cancer is the most important sign that can get transit in the U.S. chart. The most is invested there. And if we look at um, right now, we're right at the eve of a new moon in Cancer, right on top of the Lilith point. Right. Like, so, you know, if the new moon is sort of a monthly refocusing on, you know, what's what, you know, what are the Americans concerned about? Right. It's like right on the Lilith point. Right. So you've got multiple, you got three different um, chart techniques all pointing to that for the US. Yeah. That's really striking. Um, So I'm trying to think of anything else that needs to be said there. Uh, in terms of that, but I mean, that's kind of a lot there astrologically. And I know there's a lot of people un- unpacking it, especially because it just happened, a lot of interesting discussions taking place. So I'm sure it's something that we'll return to uh, here in the future. 
why don't we transition at this point into talking about the astrology of next month. So I wanted to show the planetary alignments calendar from our print calendar, from our wall calendar for this month, just to talk about some of the ingresses, the lunations, and the stations to kind of provide a backdrop. So um, on the 5th of July, Mars is going to shift from Aries, where it's been transiting for the last month and a half or so, and it's going to move into Taurus. In the same day, Mercury is going to move into the sign of Cancer and depart from Gemini, where it's been hanging out for quite a while due to its retrograde period that took place between uh, the signs of Gemini and uh, Taurus. So the following week, we're going to have a full moon in the sign of Capricorn on the 13th. Then a few days later, a Sun-Mercury conjunction, or a Mercury Kazemi as it's called, when Mercury enters the heart of the Sun in its direct phase on the 16th of July. And that's basically the halfway point between retrograde cycles. Then the next day, Venus is going to ingress into Cancer on the 17th. Mercury is going to go into the sign of Leo on the 19th. Uh, the Sun goes into Leo on the 22nd. And then we have a new moon in Leo on the 28th, and the very same day Jupiter stations retrograde in the sign of Aries, and then it will eventually retrograde back into Pisces later this year before returning back to Aries, I think, early next year. So those are some of the major ingresses that are coming up here over the next month. Um, are there any other major alignments or aspects that I didn't mention that are worth mentioning in the sort of overview section, Camille? Um. I guess I think um, Mercury opposite Pluto. I don't know if you mentioned that. Just in terms of like the hearings continuing and you know news continuing to come out that that shifts our perspective of what's going on. Um, and then later on, Sun will oppose Pluto as well. And just because we're going through a Pluto return, it might be some notable times during during that period. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Especially with your, like your, the January sixth hearings. Those are some of the hearings you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, here, let me animate the chart and show the chart for what you're talking about. And yeah, once Mercury and the Sun get into Cancer, and then eventually we'll start opposing Pluto late in that sign once they hit 27. Yeah. And that's pretty important because this month, July, is also the month of the second exact Pluto return of the US, isn't it? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the retrograde one. Yeah. Um, all right. So backing up to the top of the month and just to set the context as we head into it and talking about where the planets are now at the very opening of the month, um, we see Mars there at the very end of Aries. So we're getting towards the very tail end of that transit of Mars through Aries and getting ready for Mars in Taurus. Um, we also see Mercury in Gemini getting ready to shift into Cancer, and Venus still making her way through the sign of Gemini for the first essentially like half of the month, basically, before moving into Cancer as well. Um, so those are some of the major shifts. Austin, where are you at with the opening for this month? Yeah, I think that the uh, the fourth and the fifth are really important um, because in a sense, July just kind of feels like June until we have the paired ingresses of Mars into Taurus and Mercury into Cancer, right? Those mm -hmm. are, those are very strong vibe shifts. 
right? Mars is, um, you know, Mars, Mars has been, uh, certainly active in Aries, right. For good and for evil, but just like, you know, it's very, um, what should I say, um, Mars in Aries is very pedal to the metal. It's very, you know, use, um, I don't know, use all the fuel you have. Um, mm -hmm. and it ignites in flames, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas Mars in Taurus is very different, right? It's, um, it's not a martial sign, right? It's, um, it, it's, uh, it's a sign where Mars is in detriment or in exile. It's very far from home. Taurus, as we talked about earlier, is supposed to be where all the stable things are, where Mars is not welcome, right? It's dinner, it's not war. Um, and <clears throat> similarly, and so that's a big, that's a big slowing down of Mars um, in terms, uh, slowing down and tone down. And then Mercury from Gemini into Cancer is a similar, um, a similar shift towards the end. Mercury and Gemini is thinking and thinking and talking about everything uh, anything and everything all the time. And then Mercury and cancer is like, Oh, but what's actually important? What do I actually care about? I mean, you know, I need to call my mom, right? Like I need to get off Twitter and call my mom, right? It's, it's, it shifts communication into a much more personal introverted, um, what really matters sort of state. And so those two being paired at pretty much within 24 hours, um, is a big, you know, it's, it's a big shift in the atmosphere. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it and it moves Mars, Mars moving into Taurus. One of the things it's going to do is really begin the build up to the Mars um, conjunction with Uranus, which is going to happen in late July and early August, which is pretty significant because I think it occurs on the node at the same time, and then eventually will build up to the next Mars Saturn square as well. Um, which is really going to reignite and reemphasize the tension between. Uh, Saturn and Uranus that we've been experiencing over the course of the past year or so, and some of the unexpected disruptions and the destabilization of existing structures that come along with that. It's been really striking to me. I think I said this already on the last forecast, but it's become even more the case how much uh, those eclipses, especially the solar eclipse that occurred in Taurus at the very end of April, um, how much that really did fulfill what we kind of anticipated in reactivating and um, really exacerbating the Saturn-Uranus square, even though they're kind of far apart by degree, but it really reconnected those two and how much that's um, sent major disruptions and shockwaves through the economy and how things are starting to get a lot more destabilized economically. And there's some Things in the stock market that are just like tanking at this point. Um, one of them, interestingly, was like Bitcoin has just dropped uh, like a rock in terms of its value at this point, as have some other um, cryptocurrencies over the past month or two. Yeah, the um, the that that point where Mars, I would say, like the second half of Taurus um, for Mars is just full of. Um, about this um shit shows i mean that's where that's where like the like basically the food and energy crises that are we're seeing some of but are already baked in um though that's where they're going to hit more and more um and they'll hit in the united states but not nearly as much as the as a lot of other places um that's you know we've also seen with saturn and uranus being activated by mars 
Um, you get civil unrest for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, that it, that's, it's going to be bread riot time, uh, in a lot of places. Um, yes. and, you know, we know like that's all baked in at this point and that, um, that, how should we say that pounding on that fixed axis, um, that we saw that we've seen for over a year, but now has eclipses on it, starting with the, the eclipses in May or at the end of April and then May. And then we get the, <clears throat> the Mars, Saturn, Uranus. And then there are like three or four other things that keep pressing that button through the rest of the year. Like it's a, it's the rest of the, it's a theme for the rest of the year where we're not getting like a food and energy drop from friendly aliens that solves that. Yeah. When I was thinking about Mars entering Taurus, the exact thing that came to mind was food wars. Like what exactly would Mars be fighting for in Taurus? And it would be those, those, uh, staples, those uh, bread and butter things, pun intended. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, something that I was thinking about recently that I spent time in the last episode talking to Patrick Watson about is the idea that planets in detriment um, subvert expectations. And this was like an interesting, which I've thought about before, but it was interesting coming back to that idea and how that can manifest sometimes because the original word for detriment in Greek uh, was in antioma, which just means something that's opposite or opposed to something, but we don't use that word because that's what came to be the word that's used for the opposition aspect. But originally the word for detriment basically meant opposition. And what is an opposition if not to be set against something or set apart from something by doing the opposite of what you're expected to do? And so this notion of subverting expectations I think will be very important for this transit of Mars through Taurus because it's going through the sign opposite to one of its domiciles and it's going to act in a way that's opposite to what's normally expected of Mars. Um, and that's even more so the case because Uranus is also there as well. So we're going to be building up to that conjunction to Uranus and Uranus energy also is very much like rebellious and like not doing what it's told to do. Yeah, the planets in detriment um, accomplish their, they, they try to accomplish the expected planetary activity um, through an unex, through uh, an unexpected um, method, right? Like Mars will definitely bring conflict and upset. Like it's not going to surprise us by bringing um, peace and accord, um, but it does that. It doesn't do that necessarily. It doesn't do that through loud and fiery. Right, it does that through the cool and earthly, right? And so, for the Russo-Ukrainian conflict, um, that will almost certainly be the conflict after the offensives of the Mars, Jupiter, and Aries period. Will be the conflict entering um, <clears throat> uh, entering a phase of attrition, right? Where it's literally who whoever has food left and ammo left wins. Right where you're, there's actually less fighting during an attrition. Often there's less fighting during an attrition phase, or it's you know when it's and you, you see this throughout the history of warfare, where by not fighting but denying the opponent um, their supplies, they lose. Right, even by not fighting. Right, it's like well, you know, um, you can't march on an empty stomach. You can't fight on an empty stomach. Right, and so it's not by sorting. Uh, it's by starving that Mars accomplishes things or stealing that Mars accomplishes things in Taurus. 
Something else I just had my eye on is that around July 4th, which is Independence Day, that is when Mars is at that 29th degree, which is where it was during the the insurrection of January 6, 2021. Um, and already the sentiment after you know what the Supreme Court has done and you know people really not feeling at home here, I'm curious about what is going to you know possibly erupt um, during what would otherwise be a celebratory event and kind of already seen people, you know, pushing back against Independence Day or wanting to celebrate it. And Mars might just exacerbate those sentiments. That's a really interesting, like cyclical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and on just a Mars and Taurus, <clears throat> on a Mars and Taurus note for Independence Day of the United States, apparently a lot of um a lot of different towns or in cities aren't going to be able to do their normal firework display because uh, there are supply chain issues. Yeah, I, I definitely I worry about the Mars and Taurus exacerbating, especially some of the supply chain issues and some of those ripples that are already going on. One of the other ones that happened recently that was more local to me um, was this like company where i always drink their chai like it's a lo local company in, in colorado that's been very successful making a brand of chai and it seems like they either went out of business or they ran into issues sourcing some of their ingredients and have had to temporarily hopefully just temporarily stop production for the next few months um on this like brand of chai which like almost every coffee shop in denver and in colorado uses it's called bakdi chai it's the one actually austin where on instagram once um, I just like happened to be scrolling their Instagram account and there was like a picture of a chai and then behind it was like your book 36 faces and it was a really funny like random instance of your book just like popping up in the wild by oh, the photographer awesome. who happened to do the photo shoot for that company. But anyway speaking of supply chain issues as well as just like things sometimes becoming destabilized or things that have been around suddenly. Um, you know the structure, the foundation that was holding them up suddenly collapsing. Um, you know, there's many different things like that that we can see in different levels of society and manifesting in different places. And um, yeah, the eclipses have been really bringing that into focus and bringing some of those issues into greater prominence. But also now Mars coming up, um, we begin the slow march to the height of that as soon as Mars goes into Taurus on the 5th of July. Yeah. Um, and I would say that it, it, it'll be relative, relatively mellow until Mars until let's say the second half of the month, um, which isn't to say wholly mellow, but we have Uranus and Neptune or excuse me, Uranus in the North node at, um, 18, 19. And then we have, uh, the square with Saturn, at 22 and so mars needs to get a little you know needs to get a little uh cover a little ground get into taurus a little bit before that's really activated um but there'll definitely be rumblings from the beginning it's just not going to be nearly as acute until end of the month beginning of next month yeah like a slow creep like something that's insidious that hasn't really sprouted but will explode during the second half yeah and so yeah, that's another one of our um fixed sign um, how should we say fix the uh, uh, fix sign crisis peaks, but there there but wait there are more, right? So don't assume that like well you know we did that and the world's over it now and things are going to mellow out in the fall, right? Like that's this is um, 
you know, part of this Saturn Uranus and then especially with the nodes there, it's a, it's a fixed, it's all in fixed signs, which means that it's ongoing, it's, it's ongoing processes. It's not like one big event that you then react to, right? It's, it's like still going, yep, still problems there. Oh, new, new problems of exactly the same type. Yeah. And then, and that being said, especially with the buildup, that the buildup doesn't happen. Uh, there's a buildup phase that is the entirety of this month until we get there with the exact degree based conjunction at the end of July and early August when it'll be really at more of like a fever pitch or at the most acute. Um, sometimes those ingresses are powerful and notable, and sometimes like stuff happens on those ingresses and the shift is kind of palpable. Um, because I remember that last one, as Camille mentioned. The day of the January 6th insurrection, it was like Mars was at 29, but then by that evening it had shifted into Taurus and it was a notable shift, especially in sometimes in individual people's lives or charts. I remember, for example, um, you know, Trump's chart at the time, there had been that debate briefly for a little bit when he was elected of, you know, is he 29 Leo rising or is he zero Virgo rising as a possibility? But that ingress into Taurus was like right into his 10th house. And that was one of the first times where I really saw him get major, major pushback from like so many people because that had crossed like so many lines finally for the first time that it seemed like it, even some of his allies had abandoned him briefly at that point. Um, so sometimes those ingresses can be really palpable. So I think people should pay attention to it and pay attention sometimes to shifts in their own chart when Mars moves into that sign because it'll be moving into a new whole sign house as well. Yeah. So, um, all right. So going back, one of the things I want to mention, um, because it'll only be lasting for the first few days of the month is we'll get the very tail end of Mercury and Gemini because Mercury is just cruising through Gemini at this point in late June and early July. And, um, one of the things I think people should take advantage of is that our first, our best electional chart basically for July takes place already on July 1st at 1045 in the morning um, because you can take advantage of and you can get a Virgo rising chart with Mercury and Gemini. So it's one of the other really great or one of the last really great um, Mercury elections of the year on July 1st. So set your chart for July 1st at about 10.30 in the morning local time. So whatever your local time is, don't necessarily convert it for time zones and adjust the chart until you have, let's say, around seven degrees of Virgo rising. And if you do that, you'll end up with a chart with Virgo rising and Mercury in Gemini in the 10th whole sign house. So Venus is co-present there in Gemini in the 10th house. Um, which, which is pretty nice having Venus added into Mercury so that it's a good chart for communication, career, um, public profile, and other 10th house things. Venus brings an artistic or an aesthetically pleasing element into the picture so that one is communicating not just in a cold and sort of dry way, which can sometimes be a tendency with uh, the air signs, but Venus brings some, some warmth and some artistic beauty or aesthetic appeal into the picture in the 10th house. Um, let's see, the moon is in the 12th house, which is not ideal, but it's either going to be, depending on your time zone, applying to a trine with Jupiter or applying to a sextile with Venus in the 10th house, 
which helps to mitigate the moon's position in the 12th. And especially for people in time zones east of Denver, having that trine with Jupiter will be pretty positive that day. Um, other things about this chart, Mercury does has, have a square with Neptune, which can lead to some issues in terms of um, not being as clear with communication, but it's counterbalanced by Mercury actually applying to a very close trine with Saturn first, which can be much more grounding and can help to balance out some of the issues that otherwise come along with Mercury squaring Neptune. Um, yeah, so that's our electional chart for this month. What would you two use a Mercury election for with Mercury in the 10th house uh, co-present with Venus? A viral tweet. <laughs> viral tweet. I like that. That's good. Writing projects. Yeah. Yeah. Writing projects. Starting a writing project would be definitely be a good one. A tweet or other 10th house activity if you want to launch something where communicating and getting a message out there is key, um, then that's definitely what you want to use a Mercury election for. So that is our first election of the month and our best election, but Lisa Scheim and I also found a series of I think at least five or six other electional charts during the course of July, and that's available in our Auspicious Elections podcast, which is one of the um, bonuses or perks that's available on our page on patreon.com. So just go to Patreon, search for the Astrology Podcast, and you'll see the tier that contains the Auspicious Elections podcast if you want to sign up to learn more or get access to those other elections for the month of July. All right, so that's the electional chart right for the beginning of the month. Um, are there any other early, early month things that we need to mention, or should we move into more like the second week of July and the first lunation? Yeah, I would say let's move along. All right, so here is that first lunation. It takes place um, on July 13th when the moon opposes the sun from the sign of Capricorn. Um, so there it is at 21 degrees of Capricorn. And we can see um, the moon is pretty getting pretty closely conjunct Pluto within about six degrees off at 27 degrees of Capricorn. So it's a full moon in Capricorn conjunct Pluto. Um, it looks like it's also sextiling Neptune at 25 degrees of Pisces. And we have also a trine with Uranus, which is even closer. It's separating from the trine with Uranus at 18 degrees of Taurus. Uh, what else is standing out to the two of you about this chart and this lunation in Capricorn? Well, the one thing that stands out is I know July 13th, the week of, is when those hearings are going to start up again uh, after Congress gets back from their July 4th recess. So I'm interesting to see if there's any like damning news <laughs> that comes out during this time, especially when you see that Mercury is configured, um, you know, in this picture, and things may come out. I, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, and that that Mercury um, conjoins the Sun exactly, pretty uh, uh, quite um, <clears throat> quite tightly opposite Pluto. Right, so that the Mercury Pluto dynamic that's you know there in the full moon uh, chart gets tightened up and perfected even closer to Pluto. Um, to me, the, uh, the 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 full moon with Pluto overshadows a lot of the rest of it. You know, the Mercury is important, but um, that and there are aspects to the moon, but the the conjunction with Pluto and you think about the experience of you know, that day, right? Like there's the moment that the moon is fullest, but then it's going to spend, you know, the next 12 hours perfecting a conjunction with Pluto. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Those applications, like once an aspect happens, and then just what the moon is applying to for the rest of the day can sometimes really cast a shadow. If it's a difficult aspect over the rest of the day, or if it's a positive aspect, it's like those are the days when things go relatively well, just generally speaking, in terms of the astrological weather. So that is interesting that that is the immediate application after that. Yeah, and there's the um, so with Pluto, right? There's this interest, interest in and fear of secrets, right? You know, it's like what's really going on, you know, with, mm-hmm. and with Pluto. Pluto and the underworld, like what's going on underneath what I can see or underneath what I've heard. Um, and so there's a fascination, fascination and fear and fear can provoke its own form of fascination, right? Um, <clears throat> you've got to look under the bed cause you're afraid something's under it <clears throat> to either confirm or deny it. And so <clears throat> there, there is that, that sort of, uh, yeah, that underworld or what's hidden fascination with this full moon. Um, that's, you know, in, in, in meaningful contrast to the, you know, bright silver overflowing full moon, um, sort of standard energy. It's all like, you know, pouring a river of silver down into an abyss. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the full moon itself is when the moon's at its brightest, so it's bringing to light something maybe that otherwise wants to remain hidden or otherwise was buried in the past um, with Pluto being right there. And Pluto, on the one hand, can be, like you said, wanting to figure out secrets and find out secrets and get to the bottom of things, which can be more of like an investigative energy of um, seeking to uncover something. Um, sometimes that energy can go a little haywire and it can be becoming like paranoid about things happening um, around the corner and and becoming almost like um, stuck in a feedback loop of like conspiratorial type thinking where everything is a conspiracy and you think that there's hidden things behind every corner. Um, so there can be you know positive and negative sides to that energy, but it's interesting the notion of things being brought to light with a full moon conjunct Pluto uh, at this time. Yeah, some type of startling transparency is probably going to occur around that time. That would be nice. <laughs> it's possible, though. I mean, the um, yeah, I'm seeing like the the image for me is uh, shifting to like you know the the moonlight revealing things that couldn't be seen before, or with the transparency like shining through what was obscuring important facts. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Mercury is coming up there. It's seven, it's 10 degrees away from Pluto, but it's not too far away, only four degrees away from the lunation. And then of course we'll have, um, the conjunction of the sun and Mercury just a few days later on the 16th, uh, halfway between the retrograde cycles, which is an important kind of turning point halfway. And then shortly after that, over the next few days, we get the Mercury-Pluto opposition on the 17th and 18th, and then the Sun-Pluto opposition by the 19th. Um, I know over the past year, we've had a few instances of Mercury stationing and being configured to Pluto and like investigative reporting uh, coming out at that time of these being these big investigations that were like revealed of things like, um, you know, I think like the Pandora Papers was one of them of like, hidden financial things that were happening with um, the world's wealthiest people like hiding money in offshore accounts and that 
coming to light or being brought and exposed or what's the other term for when there's like something is exposed or something is brought to light not like a revelation a sort of like a revelation but a disclosure that's that's the term is disclosures has been one of our major mercury pluto um uh, sort of keywords over the course of the past year that's become a surprisingly regular one and so that might be another relevant keyword here as we're trying to understand what the sun and pluto and illumination on pluto means during this time frame yeah especially you know in the news on a on a personal level um revelation i think there is a species of revelation that is mercury pluto especially with the sun here it's sort of like especially with pluto in capricorn pluto in capricorn has been how should i say very very what is the landscape of power seems to be the like what is the real landscape of power what is the real shape of power um seems to be a, a recurring theme with pluto and capricorn and you know a personal like oh like a personal under a, a personal uh, you know an underworld a Catonian revelation about like oh this is the way the game is actually being played and that could be in your office or in your field or career or in a relationship but they're like oh this is the actual landscape of power not the not what i was told or not what i thought yeah discovering that within yourself as as well oh this is the game that i've also been playing <laughs> yeah coming yeah. to terms with yeah that. yeah uh well and sometimes that can be um digging down deep in things that were buried within oneself uh that were hidden from oneself either not just from somebody else, but also that you're hiding from yourself, but also sometimes in the process of digging things up like that and rediscovering them, one finds their own power um, in removing away things that were you were previously sort of like hiding from yourself in some sense. Mm -hmm. And with with Pluto, a lot of times there's a sort of um, the empowerment, the empowerment sometimes or the the revelation is. Uh, I, 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 for me, what I've experienced with Pluto stuff is it's sort of um, realizing that it's empowerment by letting go of a thing that's not real, right? Like I've been playing, a, a, like I, I thought the game was this way and I was playing it this way. And I realize now that that's fake and I've been, you know, I've, I've been deluded the entire time and re, and this is especially Pluto and Capricorn, like reconfiguring yourself so that you're dealing with the real even if it's more unpleasant than the version that you thought you were interacting with is empowering, right? Cause you're not, you're not trapped in a, in a more pleasant fantasy. You're actually, um, you know, you're dealing with the, the level, the, the real with less, um, you know, less, uh, pat foam padding between you and it. And therefore your, um, your actions will have, um, will be more effective right because you're not seeing it through a glass darkly or less darkly yeah and i like pluto also for um like discovering what is rotten especially in capricorn you're thinking about things that are supposed to have structure and hold some type of integrity and seeing you know the rot or the things that aren't standing up structurally in your life can be quite damning but it offers you the chance to then rebuild something that's a little bit stronger even if you know through the process you're confronted by something that is grotesque yeah i think maybe this is astrologically relevant i'm going to try 
I, I, I learned about a new social trend in Chinese social media among the youth, which is hashtag translate from the Chinese, let it rot. Um, okay. which is a, <clears throat> a sort of successor to or evolution of the lying down movement where people are like, I'm tired, you know, basically tired of the rat race, tired of working super hard to get nowhere. And so that's evolved into, I think it's, I think the Chinese is Bailan and I probably butchered that. So forgive me. Um, but it, it translates to let it rot. Right. It's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not making, I'm not working to make any more money than my rent costs and food costs. I am going to lie on my futon all day and enjoy myself. There's no point in trying. It's sort of like, um, how should we say, um, and it is, uh, say an aesthetically, an aesthetic uh, or a nihilistic revolution of like, no, I don't believe in any of that. I'm not fucking trying. I know that I will enjoy being on my phone. I will not go and enjoy going to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so let it rot. That feels very Pluto and Capricorn. It's like, uh, like all that shit's rotten. I'm not going to work in a lot rotten building more than I have to. I don't want to try to climb the rotten tower that's going to fall tomorrow. Yeah. And it's evocative of, of Uranus and Taurus, the radical act of choosing laying on the futon, right? Yeah. Instead of climbing the ladder, the, the, the corporate ladder, I should say. Yeah, I like that. And speaking of lying on the futon, um, I have to do the the cancer. It's cancer season. I need to do the cancer episode. And I was curious for both of you, especially you, Austin, because you have cancer rising. What keywords you use for cancer that are like not standard, obvious ones that everyone associates with cancer on like social media? Or, I mean, not to put you in a tough spot in terms of having to come up with something new, but. I feel like sometimes there's like cliche cancer ones and there can be some cliches about each sign that have some truth to them. But like, what are some of your core keywords for cancer that, that come to mind that you usually go, are your go-to keywords? Well, I don't know about keywords, but I, I think one thing that's really central to me in understanding cancer and planets in cancer is you have to understand what they care about and like care in cancer land means like emotional and mental and spiritual and physical investment in right and it's um you know the the sort of archetype of that is like parents and children right where a lot is invested um but there's lots of cancer placements that aren't about physical reproduction um but in <clears throat> for anybody with serious cancer planets it's like what are what do they really care about because they will center on that and build around that and they'll build structures to nourish that and um and also to be nourished by that and to protect their um <clears throat> their relationship to it there there's uh, another word is cultivation right mm -hmm. which is like the act of tending on a regular basis in order to um, facilitate growth. But you know, with, with cancer plants, it can be, you know, mathematics. Um, it could be chess. It could be um, any, any art form. It could be a person, it could be a community, but it's like, what are, what is the, what do they care about? What are they invested in? And you get the whole sort of hard shell grumpiness and protectiveness and soft gooey center, like those structures grow around those points of investment. That's perfect. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what what things come to you 
come to mind for you, Camille, about cancer or some of the things that you think of when you think of that sign? Um, I think about healing and I think about recuperation. Um, and especially like piggy, piggybacking off of what Austin said about that tough uh, exterior that the crab has and how it's able to kind of, um, kind of like the moon, withstand so much stuff being thrown at it, especially in this world. Um, and th so there's something really integral to the cancer archetype, I think, not only being willing to take that, but going into a safe space, retreating, withdrawing in order to then uh, restrengthen, restrengthen itself or to renourish itself and to heal itself, which then because, becomes something that it can then offer you know, the world, how to kind of bounce back. So there's a, a lot of resilience to me in the cancer archetype that, of course, is never talked about. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. The um, healing or restoration. Yes. Right. And it's not. Um, and so like, how should we say the the action of cancer over time is that there is a lot of resilience and there is a lot of endure. You know, there is like, how should we say, uh, a lot of endurance or, you know, they can um um, as we say, resist a lot. And part of that is like building protective structures. But the, like the key to that is that there's an ability to restore what is important or to self restore, um, to just go back to the source. It's like, it's not, um, being impermeable to damage. It's, um, having an, an ability to heal. Absolutely. To withstand it. Yeah. 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 And that, and again, like the action of Something that doesn't take damage versus something that can self-heal. They just both look tough over, you know, from a distance. But that that's a really that's really good. That's like a really critical um uh, differentiation. Like why, you know, why why are cancer planets enduring? Yeah. Um, and I was also noticing recently with the summer solstice taking place and the beginning of the summer season in the northern hemisphere. Um, which is the start of cancer season, just the notions and being reacquainted with the notions of light and light sort of being at the height, the, the days being at their longest and the notion of this sort of like life-givingness of light um, being at its peak in some sense during the course of cancer and Leo season in the Northern Hemisphere where astrology or this form of astrology originally developed um, and how sort of crucial that is in tying it back to that keyword of like nourishingness and the nourishing quality of life that um, enlivens and invigorates, um, you know, creatures in the world, living creatures um, in different ways, and how the notion of light is so important in in our in our universe as being sort of like the starting point, not just for life but also for astrology. That most astrology is based on these notions of light and dark and the interplay between the two. Um, that becomes so important as the the basic foundation of most of our symbolism, mm. and also just cancer being ruled by you know the moon, um, it, this association with uh, nighttime, and how at nighttime when we're at home we're kind of recuperating, de-stressing from the day. So it's kind of like that cancer activity of recuperation allows us to then show up in the world as uh, stronger, more capable individuals. Um, from that type of healing. Uh, and I would also add that um, for climates where the longest days of the year are extremely unpleasant, such as where I live, you really appreciate nighttime. It's like, oh, thank God. It's finally 930. The sun is finally set. It's finally cooling down. Oh, so nice. Um, and then one more thing about, you know, the original or 
an older context for cancer is, you know, we have cancer rising in the Thema Mundi, um, you know, the, <clears throat> the chart of the creation of the universe and, um, that it, <clears throat> and we have that cancer rising. Um, and it was about the solstice when the, the Nile would flood every year. Um, and that was like a massive, like that was, uh, that was what restored the entire Nile Delta, which was probably basically the best agricultural land for a thousand miles in any direction. Right. And so like the, <clears throat> that re-nurturing the land, um, at that time was something that literally happened in a place that played a, a huge role in the development of astrology. Yeah. I like that. That's really important. Um, and you also mentioned the night and how good it is when it cools down where you're at Austin, but it's also like, that's one of the interesting things during summer is it's a warm night. It like cools down so that's no longer this like fiery oppressing, you know, oppressive sort of burden of the daytime heat, but it's also like a warm, um, sometimes kind of humid or sort of supportive night where you can kind of like go out with a t-shirt and enjoy, uh, the night being somewhat cool and temperate as opposed to the opposite, which is like Capricorn season where at night it like the temperature drops down to the coldest and that's where it's the most freezing during Capricorn season, um, with Saturn ruling that sign. So there's an interesting interplay there also between like a sort of, um, temperate warmth and cold versus an intemperate warmth and cold, which is also goes back to the basic dynamic that Ptolemy talks about between the benefics and malefics, where he tries to rationalize them in the context of the benefics being temperate, whereas the malefics tend towards extremes of like hot and cold, which is why they're experienced as more caustic or more um, challenging or, or negative in some sense, subjectively. Yeah, totally. Hard on life. Right. All right. Um, Something I want to mention is I did want to show as we're starting to get into the second half of the month, this really steep slope that we start heading into with the Saturn Uranus square and one of the sort of like fourth and final times that we get a really close square between Uranus and Saturn where I think they get within a degree of each other and they kind of hold that for a while around the time of uh, late September and early October. But by the time we get into July, we can see that that slope is heading upwards very, very quickly. So I wanted to mention this because I just remembered to mention our sponsor, which is archetypalexplorer.com, which is where I got this graphic from. And most of the times I use graphics like this come from that program that's a really innovative program for displaying astrology transits in a visual uh, style. So let me plug that really quickly before I forget. Um, Archetypal Explorer is a subscription astrology uh, program that you can sign up for on a subscription basis and then access it through their website. They've got a world dashboard that shows the cosmos at a transit at a glance where you can look at different graphs for what the sort of astrological weather is at the moment that's going on out there as we do on these forecasts each month and different aspects and planets and date ranges and orbs. And it also provides interpretations. Um, but then you can also look at your personal transits and what are going on for you at that time, especially in terms of slow outer planet moving transits. And it actually provides delineations that come from two different books. One of them is from a, a book that Richard Tarnas wrote on transit interpretations that's actually not even published yet. It's not publicly available, 
but it is available through this website. And then another draws interpretations from the archetypal universe by Ren Butler, which is another good modern um, approach to interpreting transits, especially of the outer planets. So this is a program that I love and strongly endorse, and that's why they're one of our regular sponsors because of these graphs that they show. And if you go to their website, you can sign up and get a seven-day free trial to try it out. So just go to archetypalexplorer.com to learn more about that program. All right. So yeah, it's been, I'll just say that um, since you started integrating those graphs, uh, those visualizations into the podcast, it's made it so much easier to talk about and see, you know, see the the longer cycles of like, see, this is, see, it's up again, right? We're going to Saturn Uranus again. And then you can see the next peak is there when we're looking at the Saturn Pluto conjunctions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a nice way. It's, it's so much easier to think about a, a long sequence, you know, in, in, in that case, over a year um, of uh, tightening and loosening aspects by just at a glance rather than, uh, or in addition to, but also rather than, you know, scribbling dates down and thinking about it. And, you know, I mean, honestly, when I'm scribbling dates down and thinking about it, I'm usually trying to visualize it. Right. Right. And see it as like one thing. So it's, mm -hmm. it really is a wonderful tool. Yeah. Cause I think we, as astrologers, especially those of us that grew up to some extent using like an ephemeris to some extent to track transits that you kind of visualize it like that in your head in terms of these periods of greater intensity when the aspects get really close or when they hold an exact aspect due to retrogrades or something like that. But um, this is one of the first times that I've seen it actually visualized in this way, which I think helps just visualize the way that astrologers actually think about some of these transits sometimes. Yeah. All right. So let's move into the later portion of the month at this point where we start getting some shifts of Venus moving into Cancer on the 17th, Mercury moving into Leo on the 19th, and the sun moving into Leo on the 22nd. And all of that is leading into a new moon in the sign of Leo eventually at the very end of the month on the 28th. So let me pull that up in the charts as we start getting some shifts away from the cardinal signs and into the fixed signs. Yeah, so I'll start. I really like Venus's ingress into Cancer. Mm. Venus doesn't rule cancer or, you know, it's not the, the very height of, um, sign planet match, but Venus does great in cancer. Um, especially the, the first 10 degrees it's, uh, it's got a deck in there. Um, it also has a, a bound later on. There's a really nice, um, the, you know, uh, the, um, I should say being in cancer limits Venus um, by making some of the uh, limits Venus to like what is more personal and caring and intimate and familial. Um, but the Venus energy going there works really well, right? It's about maintaining uh, or feeding relationships with people you're close to and generally have been close to for a while. And, you know, there's um, like all of those relationships need watering. It is less... <clears throat> Um, it's less good at like the fun and frivolity 
um, that you can have with Venus in some other places. It's less about meeting new people. It's less about, <clears throat> you know, um, how should we say like a small talk, um, but where the, where the Venus does tend, you know, where the Venus rain does tend to land, um, you know, is those close relationships, which always need watering. So, and, and uh, Venus is uninterfered with um, by anything. And there's a sextile to Mars, but there there's, and there's a square to Jupiter, but um, <clears throat> the square to Jupiter is not going to be a problem. And the sextile to Mars is maybe it's a little, little spicier for a few days, but generally speaking, uh, Venus is in a really nice, really nice and like comforting and restorative, like you were saying earlier, Camille place, um, while it's in cancer, it's like out of that fixed sign madness. Yeah, this is like a pivot point in July where I think things can start slowing down and where we can activate a little bit more of the reflective properties of Cancer. And, uh, you know, things are out of Gemini. We have Mars moving out of Aries. It just feels like a time in the year where we can take a little bit of a reprieve, <laughs> maybe reflect on some of the things that have been activated. But yeah, I like that ingress too. I think it just feels like uh, Venus has dignity in Cancer. I agree. <laughs> yeah, well, it has... Right. It has triplicity dignity. It has a bound. It has a decan, right? There's formal dignity. And there's also just like, oh, you know, the sort of, you know, is the, are the planet, do, do the planet's efforts, um, are they appreciated in that sign? And it's like, yeah, no, there's plenty of room for Venus and Cancer. Mm -hmm. I like that term you used, Camille, which is reflective. Like that's yeah. a really good keyword for um, Cancer on like a number of different levels. Absolutely. Yeah especially after the frenzy of all that Gemini activation. It's time to kind of sit and think <laughs> right. what actually matters. Yeah, and, and especially because the moon itself you know, reflects astronomically the light of the sun, um, but also just because Cancer itself as, as a water sign, as the first water sign in the series of the zodiac um, is very reflective, and that's probably the first sign where you get that really reflective quality emotionally and, and internally. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sweetness, that reflective sweetness is sort of in contrast to the other things which are developing nicely by the second half of the month, right? We have the, it, Mars is like getting closer and closer and <clears throat> Mercury's ingress into Tor, Mercury's ingress into Leo and then the sun's ingress into Leo, and then the new moon in Leo, all of those is that's more planets in fixed signs, just as our fixed sign Saturn Uranus Mars party, Saturn Uranus Mars Rahu party is heating up. So it's more like a T square than just a square. Yeah, and, and Venus and Cancer offering the opportunity to get right within yourself, to balance, to recalibrate, both in. Um, as healing from everything that has already occurred, but also to bolster yourself up for what will continue to occur. Yeah. And in, in Venus is in cancer, like while a lot of that is happening. And so it's sort of like, there's a, it, it's nice cause it's off axis to almost all of it. And so it's almost like, yeah, the crazy shit's happening, but here's a hot tub. Right. <laughs> right yeah. Right. <laughs> or, you know, or whatever, maybe something more cooling, maybe a cool tub. Um, but you know, there, there, but here's a nice bath, right? Um, and so I think it has a nice, um, capacity to offset, um, the pretty stressful 
configurations that are uh, developed that are developed and further developing in the fixed signs. Yeah, and also that's a good contrast where Cancer is a very reflective sign, but Leo, like reflective, is not like one of the keywords that comes to mind normally for Leo because Leo just emits light; it just shines and, and sort of is what it is, and doesn't always have a quality that looks back onto or into itself compared to other signs like cancer. Yeah, it's projective rather than reflective. Right. I mean, Leo will think, why don't people appreciate all this light more? Right. There's something yeah. wrong with my light, something wrong with them. Yeah, usually they'll default to like there's something wrong with them, not with itself necessarily, because it's just shining and just putting out what it has to put out there. Um, which is both a uh, quality on the one hand that can be a, a, a drawback in the lack of reflectivity and the la lack of self or sort of critical analysis, but then on the other hand can also be, uh, with the Leo archetype, can be something that's admirable, like the way that they just are who they are and they just like put out into the world and shine whatever it is that they're shining and do their own thing, like sort of regardless sometimes of what other people think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, and the, the sun cooling off in Aquarius gets more of that, uh, reflective and who I'm, who am I as a human being, uh, uh, properties, not as hot. Right. Yeah. And then eventually there's like an overcorrection that occurs in the next sign as there always is from sign to sign, which is when it goes to Virgo and then it, it can get just like super self-critical and things like that and super turned more into itself and looking at, at things in that way. Well, looking at performance, looking at the facts about performance, be like, yeah, I feel great about myself. But when we analyze like the job I actually did and the metrics, right, there's, you know, like, hmm, I did, I conf I'm confidently mediocre. I need to, <laughs> I need to get my numbers up. Yeah, there's an emphasis on service in Virgo, which can take you very far out of yourself. Um, you know, martyrdom and all that. So yeah, it gets a little bit harder to tune in. Yeah. Um, Vandana in the chat says, um, you know, projective versus reflective for Cancer versus Leo. And I really like that as a good way to summarize the difference between those two signs. All right. So moving back to the chart. I like that little moon. Venus um, squares Jupiter, which I like around July 24th, a nice little aspect as Venus is moving through that sign and the moon catches up to it the next day or two and conjoins Venus in Cancer, uh, which I like. But we can see at the same time, even though we're having some of those soft, flowing, otherwise nicely reflective or relaxing aspects, that there's something else that's like building up in the background, which is that Mars-Uranus conjunction is starting to get very close. And at the same time, Mercury, which has been cruising through the first half of Leo by the end of July, starts getting really close to squaring Mars and will eventually perfect that aspect on the 26th. And um, Mercury-Mars squares can be very combative, very argumentative, um, that can be when sort of verbal altercations and things like that take place. Um, it's kind of a, a tense energy and it's wrapped up in or tied up in with the fact that Mars is also moving in and closing in on that conjunction with Uranus at this point, which it will complete on the 1st of August. But then also as soon as Mercury squares Mars, Mercury will then move into that square with Uranus. 
within the next couple of days, which takes us into our final lunation of the month, which is a new moon at five degrees of Leo on July 28th. So there is that conjunction at five Leo, and we can see that basically the same time of that new moon that Mercury is just coming off of the square with Mars and is very closely perfecting or completing the square with Uranus at the same time. So there's this erratic, um, unexpected, somewhat destabilizing quality of shaking things up that's tied in with Mercury's attempt to like communicate and convey things. Mm. Um, how are you guys feeling about this new moon in Leo? It feels like it should be celebratory, especially because it's in Leo. It's forming this nice trine to to Jupiter in Aries, um, yeah. and then it just feels like there's an impending storm. <laughs> there is something that is going to rain on the parade, um, metaphorically, you know. Especially because Mercury is also getting closer to Saturn, so it feels like a moment that would otherwise be quite uplifting that is then soured by, you know, fighting words or reactionary experiences yeah yeah and it's like jupiter's actually stationing as well at the same time we can see there at the end of july so it's stationing there and then both luminaries are like moving into that trine with it which is otherwise normally very supportive and confirming and helping to stabilize things um but yeah that mercury square with things um you mentioned fighting words and i was talking to somebody recently that had a mercury mars square and they were just talking about how the importance of being able to use curse words for them was like a very important to them and i thought that was very characteristic and very interesting in in how they were speaking to their mars mercury square but it was a it was a night chart and for them it wasn't something where they're just like doing it all the time or doing it um inappropriately but in able to be authentic to themselves they felt the need to be able to say the things that were on their mind and to use the full range of communication to them was like being able to have the full range of like a color palette if you were painting or something like that. And it made me really understand that much better, I think, in, in a way, um, how that can manifest and like the necessity sometimes of of a good curse word, a, a well well timed or well placed curse word. Oh yeah. The um but and and so there's Mercury Mars there, but as you can see, or as you can see, if you look at it, if you're listening, that isn't much help. Um, we're basically at the, the we're, we're at the the storm, as Camille uh, put it, is already spinning up, and that storm's going to last a couple of weeks. Um, it's <clears throat> it's not just Mars Uranus, uh, Mars Uranus Rahu in Taurus square Saturn. It's also Mercury T squaring them, and then the Sun by the time Mercury's done, then the sun is there and we'll be T-squaring them. And the falling full moon will be conjunct Saturn. Um, so the next lunation is dead on that that uh, that fixed stress axis, right? And so it's nice that we get a new moon in Leo, like a reset, perfectly trying, or um, not perfectly, but closely trying Jupiter, right? Mm -hmm. That is, I, I think, the good version of that is that that is the... As we say, <clears throat> the <clears throat> the 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 will to the will and ability to like overcome and to be heroic. Um, one of the positive sides of Leo transits that I see and feel um, is that um, the willingness to embody the heroic 
explore at least a little bit, which is where, you know, and to me, the heroic is being unreasonably good, right? Like being able to deal with things, even though you shouldn't have to, even though no one could reasonably expect you to, you know, you to thrive or to shine under said circumstance. It's that like it, you know, there's something deeply powerfully irrational about the heroic um, that I think you get out of uh, you can get out of Leo, especially Le- uh, like Sun and Leo trying Jupiter in uh, in Aries, um, and so that's that's good fuel. I would maybe contemplate what the unreasonably heroic looks like for you um, at that point, because you know the next couple weeks are um, you know it's a storm, it's another big shakeup. It'll be you know you'll see it in the. Um, the the ongoing etch sketching of the global order, and you'll also see it in smaller ways. Um, I would, in particular, look at the fixed houses in the chart, right? Because th- that's what's getting shaken up, and it's pretty much all of them. Yeah, um, one of the things that this makes me think of as well, <clears throat> having this cluster of. Um, three planets of a new moon in Leo and then Mercury also moving through Leo is sometimes the, um, the, the price that's paid for authenticity and sometimes being your authentic self can sometimes just by default run counter to other people and put you on a collision course with tensions or conflicts with other people. And so that might be an interesting thing. Sometimes you still have to do that and you just have to be yourself and be who you are which is one of the great things that Leo, I think, teaches us in terms of the signs of the zodiac, um, is the importance of authenticity and tapping into your authentic self, whatever that is. Um, and there's something about that new moon trine with Jupiter that feels like it could be tremendously enlivening and positive in terms of tapping into that. But at the same time, with Mercury squaring that um, conjunction of Mars and Uranus that that sometimes creating unexpectedly, you know, despite your best efforts, sometimes um, conflicts with others or instability and tensions in other areas of their life as a person tries to find what is authentic to themselves. Yeah, and I also got the feeling of what does it mean to celebrate yourself in a world that is not celebrating you? And how, like Austin said, it can be even those small moments where you can be the hero, just deciding to, no, I'm going to <laughs> affirm and uplift myself despite this impending storm that would seek to wash me away, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's brilliant. So I would add to the, the, the authenticity bit, that is um, something that I see activated strongly by Sun-Uranus contacts, right? And, you know, the 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 sun after the new moon is going to be moving towards the square with uranus right and so uranus in a sense tries to radicalize the sun's individuality right like who are you really that is not you know um how are you how are you just yourself right um but and then after that the sun moves into an opposition with saturn right which will be doubly underlined by the full moon in August conjoined Saturn. Um, but that's the like, okay, so you radicalized your subjectivity and <clears throat> authenticity, but it's like, but there are still limitations, right? Like you, um, life can't 
just be like there are other you, sometimes you have to prioritize um, other things than authenticity, right? And so the strong Saturn Aquarius brings up those challenges. You're like, mm, I can't be authentic at work, but I do need to make money, mm. <laughs> right? Like, how do I solve this? Right? Maybe maybe it's um, a workplace or profession where one can be more authentic, but right there, it's like hitting the like, okay, there are always limits to this. I can't just be the sum. Camille, I love that your cat just like jumped up on your desk, like right as we were talking about like authenticity and the need to be authentic, but then that's sometimes causing conflicts or, or interruptions. The need to be seen. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kitties like the sun. But then the cat's just like, I'm a cat. That's what I do. I jump up on, on desks and <laughs> it just happens. If it so happens to like interrupt somebody else's life, like that's a side effect, but that's not, not the cat, not the cat's problem. Yeah. What's Kitty's name? Davy. Baby. Davy. Oh, Davey. but he is a baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, we haven't seen Sumo in a while. Austin, who's like the patron saint cat of the astrology podcast. She'll be back. Be back. She's been, um, she's been preparing. She's been, um, uh, she's been bulking for her next appearance on the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. Is she like the size of a small, like a Volkswagen Beetle at this point, based on the previous trajectory last time we saw her? She a big kitty. Um, (laughs) um, you can't tell unless you pick her up, but not only has she like gotten fluffier and longer, but she's also like, like she's a little, she's like, what, two years in a month now? She's like put on muscle. She's like thicker and more solid uh, than she used to be. She used to be a little bit like a, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit jiggly, um, but she's like thickened up. Um, she's been, I think she's been uh, in my gym, like lifting and swinging the mace. Okay. That sounds kind of intim- intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. I might. <laughs> I might be intimidated funny, by your cat. She's if I still afraid of her older cat who she, he's probably 11 pounds and she's probably 20 pounds. Um, but she met him and established a relationship dynamic when she was a kitten. So she kind of still treats him like he's a bully, even though she's almost literally double his weight. And, um, you know, she's full of vitality and he's like elderly and kind of drooly with three teeth, but she's like, Oh, that guy, you know, watch out. He's fucking dangerous. All right. It's going to be a bad yeah. day when he, uh, when she, for him, when she figures it out. Yeah. That is our, is that not speak to all of our, like early, the dynamic of things that happen when you're younger and how you still stick with that sometimes mentally, even into, you know, later age when it no longer is true or the circumstances have changed. Yeah. And back to, to tie that back to just the discussion on cancer, that is sort of a downside of cancer planets is they'll like form impressions um, very early in life. And then without meaning to um, see things 40 years later through the, through the lens of like, you know, relational dynamics when you were seven and that in of itself often requires that that reflection you're talking about being like so what i what you know does the inner lands does the inner image match the external dynamics and landscape or is this a you know is this a a postcard from 20 years ago yeah because cancer is like a like a block of clay that you 
can press like your hand or your fist into and then will like contain or take on the shape of that and will retain it um from that point forward yeah you know what's interesting is the um the the silver um that that was used in the first uh photographs um it was like a solution of silver um silver is the moon's metal um in virtually every alchemical system um and it's the it's silver which could capture and hold the image um of what you were taking a picture of and so silver like there's no photography without silver and you know silver moon silver is the metal of the moon that also reminds me of how crabs need to outgrow that shell and what mm. happens when you just want to stay firmly within that little shell that you had as a kid. Yeah, totally. And that, yeah, like if you want to grow. Right. Got to shed something. Right? It protected you at the time, but if you want to grow. Yeah. I like that. And the, and the reluctance to leave that, which is um, comfortable or that, which you have grown to adjusted to live in, which is a little similar to Taurus and, and, keep thinking of things like that that are keep reminding me of the interplay and the similarities between Taurus and Cancer and that interplay between the moon and Venus and Venus having her or the moon having her exaltation in Taurus. Yeah, they're both very stubborn and domestic in their own way. All right, so going back to the chart, one last thing, Austin, you mentioned it's really important is just that coming off of the Mars Uranus conjunction as planets um, first, you know, square from Leo when they square Mars and Uranus, they then immediately move into that opposition with Saturn, as Mercury will do first, um, applying to Saturn and then eventually completing it by July 30th or July 31st, um, which is consequently also right around when the Mars Uranus conjunction is going exact. But having the um, rebelliousness, having the aggressive need for freedom symbolized by Mars and Uranus conjunction, but then, like you were saying, immediately running into a, a wall or some consequences with the opposition from Saturn immediately after that and realizing that there's still boundaries and limitations and what happens in the aftermath of this sort of push for um, getting free of something and still having to negotiate those boundaries and negotiate some of those challenges that come up uh, immediately afterwards. Yeah, and with Mercury square Mars, it always reminds me of uh, you know someone weaponizing their intelligence, and especially mm -hmm. with Uranus in the picture, it's like that plus the evil genius archetype, and then immediately being censored or shut down or corrected by Saturn for having for doing that, but feeling the urge nonetheless, right? Right, that makes sense. Um, Mars also weaponized, speaking of weaponizing intelligence, Mercury and Mars often also makes me think of like lawyers and just like the ability to argue and somebody taking maybe an argumentativeness as an inborn trait, but then turning it into like a skill that can be used, you know, for their own purposes, which can be good or could be bad. Um, but nonetheless, that it's coming from almost like, a, like having a skill of arguing um, and that being something that somebody can channel in some way. Yeah. Um, with Mercury Mars, you see a lot of lawyers as well as engineers. Wow. Uh, which can literally be like, I'm going to design a thing, you know, like I all, all weapon design, um, is done by engineers, right? Tools as well. 
Um, but yeah, Mercury, Mars, um, yeah, you just see a lot with engineers and lawyers. I have to and, say this because thieves. it's evocative. My mom has Mars, Mercury, Aries, and is both a lawyer and went to school for engineering. Okay. <laughs> so, <Awesome. laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's got like, it's very like, there's the conflict side of it, but there's also like Mars is super practical. Mars doesn't want like idle thinking. It's like you're doing something, you're building something, you're designing something. Mars is very like grades things on how functional they are. Right. Yeah. Um, and so are there any other keywords for the Mercury Mars opposition? Cause that's kind of what we end the month with is the, sorry, the Mercury Saturn opposition closes out the month just as Mars and Uranus are closing in on their conjunction. Um, but you know, Saturn sometimes says no to communication or rejects things, um, and there's something about that that Mercury Saturn opposition because it gets accentuated by the Moon hitting Mercury around the same day. It looks like here on the 29th, um, just the Moon coming up. Yeah, I mean, Mercury. so the activation of the uh, of the Uranus Saturn. Square that we're seeing um, in several different ways uh, during this period and the next couple of weeks. Um, it's all Uranus, Uranus and Ranu, and then Saturn, right? So we have like the disruption or the rebellion, um, you know, whatever the um, the <clears throat> whatever whatever the the surprise is, right? Or the the attempt to stop the normal order of operations, or whatever whatever like disrupts. Um, will mm -hmm. then be followed by Saturn, which is going to be an attempt to control or bring order back to um, what has been disrupted, right? So with Mercury, right. maybe it, you know it, it is harsh, harsh and rebellious words are spoken, and Saturn tries to clamp down on that, right? With Mars, it's like I'm going to freak out, you know, I'm conjunct Uranus, and then like um, needing to tightly control. Um, actions uh, square Saturn, and then the you know the Sun's going to do it's going to activate the same sequence. Um, so we're going to get that like flare up, and then you know um, probably half successful attempt to control <laughs> uh, or to bring order back to like Saturn can't handle all of uh, Rahu, Uranus, Mars all at once. Yeah, so it's like the the attempt to impose order or reimpose order after it's been disrupted or alternatively the attempt to like shore up the foundations of something that have been shaken violently suddenly yeah and a yeah. great visualization i mean oh. go ahead i was just going to say a great visualization for this is a protest right there is a, a stimulating event that uh, arouses anger and resistance we have mercury kind of marching on the streets kind of yelling and then we have the Saturn portion of it, which is like, oh no, now the um, SWAT team or the police are here to try to control what is being um, escalatingly disruptive, right? So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll probably see that. Um, and we'll probably see, like, you know, this is like the, the Uranus and Taurus um, and friends have been very consistent and been like, and there's not enough food or there's not enough gas, right? And then, you know, being like, and then the attempt to control that. Um, so we're going to temporarily tap into the reserves and do the thing. Don't freak out everybody or, you know, whatever attempts to, con whatever attempts to like bring order back to the situation. 
Um, but yeah, there'll probably be like disruption. People are, um, people are upset and loud and then a half successful attempt to bring order back to it in a lot of different, um, iterations. Yeah. And Mars brings a lot of vol volatility to whatever area it's transiting. And since it's transiting through Taurus and we saw the eclipses in Taurus starting on, on April 30th start to disrupt things like the markets. I would assume that Mars moving in there and getting really close to Uranus would similarly lead to more volatility or would add sort of like gasoline on top of a fire that's already burning. Or yeah, uh, more expensive gasoline on top um, of that. Yeah. Inflation. <laughs> you don't want to use too much gasoline because it's getting too expensive. A, a fire at this whose point. budget is already stretched. Right. There's been a lot of talks about going on a general strike, and I'm curious about where that sentiment will be by this time uh, in July. Mm. I think it'll probably be loud. Yeah, especially with Mars there. It's like, uh, I feel this in my body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it reminds me so of some of the... On a, like, on a sort of like, not just watching the news level, like... So like the end of the month and then really the first half of August are all this. And so if there right. are hatches that you need to batten down um, during the first part of July, it's a good idea, mm -hmm. right? Because this, you know, this also occurs in individual charts. Um, there won't necessarily be, um, you know, a bread riot inside your, <laughs> inside your apartment. <laughs> Right, but they're like disruptions and this and that. Um, it's just a period. I'm really glad you used the term Chris volatility. Um, it's a it's a volatile, let's say last week, uh, at least the last week of July and first two weeks of August, it's a very volatile period. And so um, you know, there there is uh there's a lot of benefit to not going into a period that you know is gonna be volatile like a mess. Like if you can kind of get your shit together as much as you can and like at least take care of the things you can um, so that you have some of the space to deal with whatever comes up uh, during a high volatility period, you know, you'll thank yourself for it. It's not always possible, but sometimes it is. And when it is, it's worth doing. Using that um, Venus and Cancer squared Jupiter and Aries time to really <laughs> overindulge and to like rest and reset that nervous system. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, that's a good good advice. I want to do that. Me too. And, and <laughs> what is the North Node doing there? Because it just feels to me like it's just expanding. And as the North or the ascending node, some of the medieval and traditional significations of like increasing whatever it touches just makes me think of that increasing some of the vol volatility already that's there of the Mars Uranus conjunction. But what is like Rahu or what is the North Node doing from like an Indian perspective? Even there, Austin. Um, so that, um, well, yeah, so one, I would say it is taking a pair of syringes and injecting both Mars and Uranus with TRT. Um, and then if, if we're looking at, looking at it from a Vedic, Vedic astrology perspective, yes, what is, it's what is TRT it? before you move on? If people don't know what that is. Oh, that's testo. That's, that's, um, basically getting injected with testosterone. Okay. Right. It's just amping them up. Um, <clears throat> It's something, anyway, it's banned in a lot of um, um, UFC stuff because people were coming in with seven times the normal level of testosterone and just hulking out. Uh, but anyway, you know, whatever performance enhancing 
uh, drug you would like to, or drug or, you know, hormone you'd like to, uh, use it as, but that's amping them up. And the, um, one of the things that's sort of top level priority in, uh, with, uh, interpreting Rahu and Vedic astrology is it also brings confusion. Um, if you think about eclipses and like, you can't see because it gets darker, it gets dark out in the middle of the day. You can't see as clearly it's supposed to be the brightest night and it's a full moon. And then there's a shadow across it. So you can't see. Um, and so the obscuration of vision and then getting confused is a really big part of it. It's, a yeah, like it's a top priority um, sort of signification of Rahu is like getting confused and then spun around. Yeah, I've been really thinking about that actually as being a, an inherent property potentially of eclipses because astronomically, you know, something is hidden or overshadowed, something is occulted, and that sometimes a significant event will happen or will happen in your life under eclipses, but you won't know about its significance until later when something is brought to light or comes to light. But at the time, it's like sometimes there can be this quality with eclipses and, and maybe by extension the nodes of the important event being hidden or obscured at the time, even though something is germinating at that time that's going to grow into something very major later on. Yeah, no, I, I think it's abs I, I think the Vedic astrology is 100% correct and wise for privileging that like um, lack of vision and confusion resulting from eclipses and the nodes which create the eclipses. Mm, okay. All right. Well, it's like, once again, I feel like this has like become the astrology podcast forecast episodes have become like a Netflix series because we're again going to leave it on kind of like a cliffhanger at this point because things culminate at the end of the month with that Mars Uranus conjunction, which doesn't really go exact until October or until August 1st. So there's going to be a little bit of a to be continued here when it comes to this forecast that we'll have to revisit when we do the forecast again next month uh, towards the end of July. Yeah, what a cliffhanger. Yeah, right. It's definitely like mid fight scene that we that we leave yeah. July. Right. Um, it's like a Game of Thrones episode, except hopefully the writing will be better than some of the later seasons of Game of Thrones in this series. <laughs> yeah. No, the uh yeah, the palace is besieged, but the dragons are coming, but so are the White Walkers, and nobody <laughs> has any food, and um, you know, the reinforcing army ran out of um hay to feed their horses so they, they're going to be really late all right good times well this is amazing thanks you thank you both for joining me for this episode camille thanks for doing this forecast with with us you're great absolutely thank yeah, you thank you so um where can people find out more information about you or um what are some of your offerings in terms of astrology um, you can find more about me on my website, uh, CamilleMichelleGray.com. Uh, right now, just mostly working on uh, con consults, different kinds of consults. You can find me there. Um, and periodically, always writing and sharing things to um, Reddit and um, my Medium site. This site as well will have everything I write as well. And you can keep up with me on Twitter, always giving bite-sized astrological insights there. Yeah, I love your Twitter account. You always post a lot of really insightful stuff there, as well as in your your Reddit and your Medium posts. What's your handle on Twitter? It is at Millie Michelle, M I L L Y M I C H E L L E. 
Cool. And I'll put a link to your website in the description just below this video on YouTube or on the astrologypodcast.com website. Excellent. Awesome. Austin, what do you have coming up? Well, uh, Sphere and Sundry is about to release, maybe by the time this podcast is out, maybe a day or two later, maybe about the same time, um, the first ever lunar series. Um, we had to wait so long to get a good moon um, in Cancer, not afflicted by Saturn and Capricorn, no nodes there. We have a beautiful waxing moon in Cancer, trying Venus in Pisces and Jupiter in Pisces. And so it's very moon, it's moon, moon. Um, it's really awesome. One of the things that's interesting that's very astrological is that our, our early field tests um, have, uh, have resulted in it being, how should we say, amazing to combine with other things because it, it seems to potentiate everything that we combine it with, which of course makes sense. Like it's almost a give me or a gimme because that's what the moon does, right? It potentiates the other planets. Um, but the materia does that too. So we've been having a good time. That'll be out. Um, I don't know, uh, end of, end of June, beginning of July, like right around the time the podcast launches. Nice. Perfect. So I'm excited about that. Um, I will also be speaking at the ISAR conference at the end of August. Um, I will be giving two lectures. And then I will also be um, opening up enrollment again in a limited fashion for my self-paced year one class, maybe July, maybe August, but like sometime this, uh, this quarter, I need to sit down with the calendar. But for those who are interested in joining, that's coming up. So, you know, um, sign up for the, the, my, my mailing list if you want to stay apprised. Awesome. And your website is austincopic.com. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. And um, as for myself, I just had Patrick Watson out uh, last week and we recorded a whole course on rectification. So I'm in the process of getting those lectures edited right now. And then I'll hopefully launch that at some point this summer, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I'm continuing to teach my Hellenistic astrology course and doing monthly Q&A sessions with the students of that that have been a lot of fun. Um, Nick Dagan Best is supposed to fly out here in early July. I haven't seen him in years in person, so I'm pretty excited to meet up with him and maybe record some podcast episodes. And yeah, just continuing to expand what I'm doing with the Astrology Podcast and try to record more content in person just because um, you can get such a better conversational like dynamic, like sitting with a uh, another astrologer in person versus online. And that's one of the exciting things about conferences, but I really like recreating that and then recording those episodes to share here through the astrology podcast. So if people like this series and they want to support the podcast, then the best thing you can do is just become a patron through my page on patreon.com and you'll get access to bonus content, like early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the recording of live episodes, like the audience did who joined us for this one. And thanks everyone in the chat who joined us. Um, and other things like that. So I think that's it though for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks both of you for joining me. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode. Good luck next month and we'll see you again next month, uh, a month from now to talk about the astrology of August. So have a good time and see you again next time. All right. Take care everyone. Bye.
Special thanks to all the patrons that helped us support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, and Jake Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io. There's also a major astrology conference happening this year that's being hosted by the International Society for Astrological Research, and that's happening August 25th through the 29th, 2022 in Westminster, Colorado. You can find out more information at isar2022.org.